Tim, we thank you for filling in for us. Can we give him a hand as he comes up? He's going to be sharing with us again this morning. Oh, I don't know if it's given me a break or given you a break from me. Um, either way, it works. Oh, this morning, just a, a good time in church. Sweet spirit, just a, a great time to let the Holy Spirit move and, and do whatever He wants. That's what we're here for. Why are there so many pens up here? Is there a lot of writing that happens on this pulpit? Um, <laughs> so this morning, I, I, I want to talk about a couple of things here. And one thing I, I found that I'm trying to figure out in my own life as I'm, I'm navigating the way things are these days, it, it is different. And not just like, oh, we have to watch out for this or this is going on. It, it's how I do things is different. How do I continue to live my life in a way that glorifies God? How do I work at my job in a way that honors my boss, that honors the owner, that, that helps me move forward in my job? How do I do the everyday things now and still stay 100% in line with what God's called me to do? To put it another way, how do I make God proud? How do I make God proud of me in what I'm doing in my everyday life? So this morning, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, if you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, we refer to it as the Hall of Faith. Uh, it talks about a lot of people who had great faith in God and what they have done, um, and, and uh, the, the great things that they did where they stepped out in faith and they followed God when they didn't know what was going to happen. Today I want to focus specifically on verses 8 through 16. And they talk about Abraham and his life. In this passage, while it doesn't tell the whole story of Abraham, it gives us some of the highlights of his life. So I want to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says this, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand in the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country that, excuse me, that they are thinking of the country looking, okay, time out, back up, verse 14. 
People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. Verse 16 kind of grabbed me here. Verse 16 says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed of them. Dare I say, God is proud of them. As Christians, we talk a lot about not being ashamed of God. Uh, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But have you ever asked yourself, is God ashamed of me? Is God proud of me? Is he proud to be called my God? You see, if you're proud of somebody, it's not easily hidden. Have you ever been around a, a new grandparent when they talk about their grandkids? Okay, you know who they're proud of real quick. Do you remember when the wallets used to have that accordion-style photo thing, and you'd walk up to somebody and they'd go, and you're like, oh no, I'm here for a while. When you're proud of somebody, you let people know. We love to be with the people that we're proud of. You don't want to be apart from those people. When you're proud of somebody, you let everybody know it. Look at sports teams. We'll dress head to toe in our favorite gear for our sports teams, right? We decorate our homes with it. We decorate our cars with it. We tell jokes about our rival teams. When one of our guys leaves and goes to another team, he's a traitor. We don't speak of him anymore. We're proud of our team, even when they're not that great. At the same time, if you're ashamed of someone, it's not easily hidden either. Like a teenager who asks their parents to drop them off three or four blocks away from school, and they'll walk the rest of the way so they're not seen with their parents because they don't want to be embarrassed. Or a family member who nobody talks about because of the bad choices they've made in their life. People don't want to be seen with those whom they're ashamed of, the people who embarrass them. I did a Google search just to see what kind of things people are proud of. Turns out there are some people who are proud of some things they should not be proud of, and a lot of them. The story was told of a young woman who called the pastor and said, I need to come and talk to you. I've got some sin in my life, and I need, I need to talk to you about it. And I said, okay, and she met with the pastor, and she said, Pastor, I've become aware of a sin in my life, and I, I'm afraid that I can't control it. Every time I go in church and I look around at the other women in the church, I realize that I'm the most beautiful one in the church, and no one holds a candle to me. And I want to get rid of this sin. The pastor looked at her and he said, Mary, that's not a sin. You're just highly mistaken. There are sins. There are things we are proud of that we shouldn't be proud of. She was a little too proud of herself there. Some people are proud of the wrong things, but what I saw, an overwhelming amount of people were talking about their pride in their children. 
and the things that they do well. And I'm sure you've all heard certain people who you think, man, their kids must be perfect because that's all they talk about is how perfect their kids are and everything goes well and everything goes like this. And if you've got kids, there are times where there's some stories that are pretty funny and you don't always maybe claim that kid at that moment when those things happen. No matter how much you love your kids, there are times where you go, uh, I don't know who your parents are, but boy, you want to be them. Back to Abraham. Why was God proud of Abraham? Verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. When God told him to go, he just got up and went. He just obeyed. No questions asked, no hesitation, even though he had no idea where he was going. Obedience, that's the key. That's something, even this morning as we were singing all these songs, if I'm sitting back there going, boy, a lot of these songs, they're talking about obedience, whether you caught it or not. Even the, the may it be a sweet sound in your ear. That comes from Scripture that says when you're in sin, there are times where your prayers sound like clanging cymbals to God, and He doesn't hear them. But there are times when you're lined up with God and they are a sweet sound. If you're at a place where your, your prayers, you feel like you're, you're just blocked and you're not getting through to God and you're not connecting, it's time to evaluate your life. Because there could be sin there that you need to deal with, that you need to clean out because that comes between us and God. And that hinders that obedience and that, that can really just put that ceiling on where you feel like you're praying and it doesn't matter. I, I'm praying all the time. I'm on my knees. I'm on my face. It doesn't matter, God. You're not hearing me. It's time to compare your life to the Word of God. What is not lining up? Abraham obeyed God even though he didn't have all the information. He left a comfortable life in Ur. He headed into the unknown. Abraham was a rich guy, okay? We don't always think about that, but Abraham was very wealthy. He had a lot of, of livestock. He had servants. He had a lot of things. He was a very rich man. He didn't need to move on. He could have built a very good life for himself there in Ur. And even when he did move, he could have built a new town, a new city. He could have built himself up to be something great, but he didn't. Abraham left all comfort and security, not even knowing where he was going. Would you ever leave a life of comfort and ease and security? Why would you ever choose to live beneath your means and sacrifice comfort so that you could give what you don't need away to further the gospel of Christ? Or why would you ever quit your job or sell your business so that you could go on the mission field? Or why would you ever give up your vacation time in order to go on a short-term missions trip or to help out at camp? Or why would you ever risk your image or reputation 
by starting a Bible study with the people you work with. In obedience to God, that's why you do that. God told Abraham to do something, and by faith, he did it. It says, by faith. Now, faith is not a blind leap into the dark. Okay, sometimes we get this idea of, by faith, we're jumping off into nothingness. Fingers crossed, hope this works kind of thing. I think we get the wrong idea of what faith is. It's true Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he fully trusted the one who did know. For some reason, we can think of faith as a gamble. But the truth is, the gamble, if it's a gamble, it's not really faith. When you came in this morning and you sat down, you saw a chair, and you had faith that that chair would hold you up. You sat right down in it. Maybe you sat in it because you saw other people sitting in it, so you thought, oh, sure, that'll hold me. Maybe you've sat in that chair before. Maybe you sit in that chair every week. But you had faith that the chair would hold you up because if it looked questionable, you wouldn't have sat on it. Webster's defines faith as strong belief or trust in someone or something. If you came in this morning and the spot you're sitting in had cones around it and caution tape all over the chair, would you have sat in it? If you sit in it at that point, it's not faith. That's called stupidity, okay? That's not faith. Abraham stepped out in faith because even though he didn't know where the call would lead him, he knew the one who had called him to go. There's a story that I read. It said one night, a house caught fire and a young boy was forced to flee up to the roof. And the father, his father stood on the ground below and with outstretched arms and he called to his son, jump, I'll catch you. He knew the boy had to jump in order to save his life, but all the boy could see were flames, smoke, and blackness. As can be imagined, he was afraid to leave the roof. His father kept yelling, jump, I will catch you. But the boy kept saying, Daddy, I can't see you. And the father replied, but I can see you. And that's all that matters. That's how we have to look at our faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, but Jesus, I can't physically see you. I can't see your path, your plan. He goes, yeah, but I've, I can see you. And I know where you're going. It's faith. We can look at Abraham and think this was a big risk and, oh man, he was crazy. He was so brave. He made the hardest decision in the world. Thank God it worked out for him. But the reality is he was taking the safest path possible because it was the path that God had laid out for him. As long as he stayed in the path God laid out for him, it wasn't going to fail. We have a little different mindset these days, and I think some of it is culturally. Some of it is um, just because we live in America, we don't see some of the other things that go on in the world, and we live this safe, cautious life. Um, I want to show you an illustration here. I'm, I'm going to show it to you as a video. Uh, you'll see in a minute why I'm not going to do it. 
Um, I'm going to show you it takes place on a balance beam. I don't want to fall off of something and hurt myself and ruin the illustration. Um, it's a great illustration. Uh, Francis Chan is doing the illustration. And he's talking at the beginning here, he kind of picks up talking about his story and his life and the challenges that he ran into. Um, if you know him at all, his, uh, both of his parents died early when he was young. His mom died in childbirth. Uh, so that's kind of where he jumps in here. But I want you to, to look at this and see the comparison here of walking this balance beam to how we walk through life. I, I think it's, it'll be eye-opening. Uh, if you want to go ahead and play that video, it's only a couple so minutes long. Stability, so much that we don't understand, like, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine. Then my dad got married again. Then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky. And things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here. And uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to... Um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. My kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2%. Um, and uh, maybe serve help in nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life, and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it, and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven, and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go, Now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know, and some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes, what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done.
well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. The first time I saw that, I just sat there and I went, really? Like, how come that didn't dawn on me before? Yeah, at the end, I'm, I'm going to stand before the judge. Did you hear him say that? When you stand before the judge, if you haven't done anything, how is he supposed to score that? There's a wide path and a narrow path. There will be judgment and there will be reward. Judgment, um, this morning I was reading Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28 in my, in my reading. Wow, you want to talk about judgment? Holy buckets. That is crazy. The stuff that God said he was going to do to these people. He talked about sending pestilence and making them stick to people's bodies until they had completely eaten them. He talked about giving them boils specifically on their knees and on the bottom of their feet. And I'm like, ah. And he talked about people. It says in there, now this is straight out of Scripture. It says the most gentle women among you will hide in silence and eat their children. And I'm going, what? What? And then some people say, well, that's Old Testament. And we're New Testament. We don't, we're not Old Testament. Because God's different now. Because, you know, it's just grace and mercy now. But there will be a day where we stand in judgment. And there is punishment for those who disobey God. Hebrews chapter 10. This is not on the slide here. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse, starting verse 26. New Testament. Okay. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth... No sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and the raging, and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of, one, of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think men deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who is, has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. New Testament. If the punishment, it's saying, if this was the punishment back then for disobeying the law that God gave to Moses, what do you suppose the punishment will be for disobeying Jesus Christ, the only Son of God that He sent to earth to die for you? You think maybe that's a little bit bigger deal to God. New Testament. In America, we get this mindset of the older we get, the less risk we take. You set up your 401k, your IRA, everything else. You want to have a bunch of money at the end of your life. 
Um, you know, I talked about this a few weeks ago when I held up that rope and said we focus right here on what this is and we go, okay, when you're young, you take all your risks. Oh, you're in your 20s, yeah, you can do that. You can fall on your face because you got a lot of time to recoup. You know, well, you're 65, you better calm it down. You better not jump too far. You better slow it down. But that's not what I see when I read this Bible. We want to kind of ease out. And I love that illustration there with the bounce beam at the end. We want to ease out. And even at the end, he's like, and even when we die, we just want to die in our sleep and not even feel it. Like, like at the end, we want to just slowly dismount. And we want to ease out. And then we're going to stand before the Father and go, oh, yeah, ha, ta-da, done. The older they got in the Bible, the bigger risks they took. Not because they had less to lose. It's because the older they got, the more they knew God, the more they knew God, the risk seemed smaller. Because when God says, go do this, and you know God personally, you go, well, that's the only logical way to go. It's the only path that cannot fail. The reality is Abraham didn't see this as a risk because he obeyed and he put his faith in the only one who has the ability to come through each and every time he promises something. The only one with a perfect track record, the only one who is incapable of failing Abraham was God. And he was the only one who could make that promise happen. The real risk would have been if Abraham tried to accomplish this on his own. Where have you placed your faith? In a powerful God or in something here on earth? There was a story told of a very rich man on earth, and he uh, just loved to show off how much money he had. Big, beautiful house, big boats, cars, lined them all up in the front yard so everybody could see them. And he decided he needed some security. So he went out and he got this big, trained guard dog. And he would let that dog run around on the front yard just loose, just to show everybody that he was protected. One day he was sitting at home and he hears a knock on the door. He opens the door and this little old lady is standing there and he's thinking, what in the world, how did she get past my guard dog? And she said, excuse me, sir, but my dog just killed your dog. And he goes, what? My guard dog? How in the world? What kind of dog do you have? She said, I've got a chihuahua. And he goes, you have a chihuahua? How in the world did your chihuahua kill my dog? She said, it got stuck in his throat. Where have you placed your faith? You could put your faith in a big guard dog, but it can go down from a chihuahua. Verse 9 said, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham, a rich man, why would he live in a tent? He could have built a whole city. He could have built just one big house for him to live in and let everybody else live in tents. He could have had safety and comfort secure environment, but he didn't. 
He lived in tents as an alien and as a foreigner. Why did he? Because the promise hadn't been fulfilled yet. He wasn't going to settle for anything less than everything that God had promised him. He knew that it wasn't home yet. God had given him a promise. He knew he was somewhere in the middle of that, so he wasn't going to stop. There was no use settling down because he was a stranger and a pilgrim there. Verse 10 says, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He never settled because he knew the promise God had made to him, even though he didn't get to see it with his own eyes. He trusted God above all else. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Abraham carried that faith until the day he died. He did not live to see the promise fulfilled but he didn't give up on it. I love how it says he, he welcomed the promise from a distance. He said, I see it, I know God is faithful, and I know it's coming. Keep coming. Even though I might not live to see it, I still want God's plan to happen. At the end of his life, he could have said, well, what do I care? I'll never see it. But instead, he wanted God's promise for his kids for his grandkids, and for generations to come. He didn't know what, when it was coming, just that it was coming. He didn't receive the promise in their lifetime. Sometimes God shows us the bigger picture, and we have a part in a much bigger plan that he has. Maybe God has placed you in the beginning or in the middle of a plan, Maybe you won't see the fruits of your labor, but your children or your grandchildren will. That doesn't make your obedience any less important. In fact, without God's plan, without your obedience, God's plan would be interrupted. We saw how it went. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This was the plan of God. If Abraham had stopped, we wouldn't have seen Isaac, Jacob. It would have been... Abraham, and somebody else would have fulfilled God's plan. Abraham didn't see the fulfillment of the promise, but he was a vital piece in the plan that brought that promise to be. If he wasn't obedient in doing his part in what God said to do, then God wouldn't have to have come through on his part either. When God calls us to do something, if we fail to obey him, he doesn't have to come through on his part either. The promise is, if you do this, I will do this. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. This is, we're going back Old Testament. This is in the story of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God said, go, and I will. Obey, and I will. And in faith, Abraham went. 
same chapter, we're going to jump down to, um, oh, back to Hebrews 11, verse 13. Admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their, not looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Listen to this illustration here by Randy Alcorn. Uh, this is in one of his books. I want to read this to you, and it, I, I just love this. Where we choose to store our treasures depends largely on where we think our home is. Suppose your home is in France, and you're visiting America for three months, living in a hotel. You're told that you can't bring anything back to France on your flight home, but you can earn money and mail deposits back to your bank in France. Would you fill your hotel room with expensive furniture and wall hangings? Of course not. You'd send your money to where your home is. You would spend only what you need on a temporary residence, sending your treasures ahead so they'll be waiting for you when you got home. Nothing makes a journey more difficult than a, heaven, uh, than a heavy backpack filled with nice but unnecessary things. Pilgrims travel light. I love that. It sounds stupid when you put it that way. If you were going someplace else and you couldn't bring anything back with you but you could only send things ahead, of course you wouldn't decorate your hotel room. That's dumb. Why waste it? But so many of us do that here on earth. We're in a temporary place. Why do we invest so much in the temporary and not in the eternal? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. I'm sure it's familiar to you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That was Abraham. He was obedient, full of faith. He was investing in the things of God and not in the things of this world. There's a quote by Jim Elliott. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. That's the mindset we have to have. If we give what we have on earth that we can't keep, we can gain something that we cannot lose. It's a story of a couple that was 85 years old, and they had lived a, a healthy lifestyle. Of, they were married almost 60 years, and um, she was really into healthy eating, and they were always eating healthy and exercising and all these things. And they, had, they died in a car crash, and they got to heaven, Peter was showing him around. He said, here's your mansion, this big mansion here. And he's, the guy was walking around going, wow, this is so nice. How much does it cost tonight to stay here? And Peter says, nothing, it's free, it's heaven. Of course it's free. And they walked out to the backyard, and there was this golf course out there. And Peter was telling him, now the golf course changes weekly. Uh, it's, it's mirrored after some of the golf courses on earth, and so you never get bored with it. It's constantly changing. And the man says, well, how much is the green fee? It's nothing. It's, it's heaven. Of course it's free. He goes, oh, okay. And then he takes him down to the dining area and he says, shows him this huge layout of food and the buffet and everything. And he says, you know, you can eat whatever you like. And the man said, how much does it cost? 
And he says, nothing. It's free. It's heaven. And he looked around. He says, where's the low-fat, low-sodium tables? And Peter says, that's the best thing about heaven. You can eat whatever you want. And you don't get fat and you don't get sick. And the man lost his mind. He threw a fit. He started stomping around, and Peter and his wife both tried to help him out and calm him down and said, what is going on? And he looked at his wife, and he pointed at her and said, you, it's your fault. If it wasn't for your healthy eating and exercising, I could have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> Abraham wasn't distracted by the impulsive temporary things, but he kept his focus on the eternal things that will last. Abraham looked at the big picture. He said, what am I trying to accomplish here? My goal is heaven, and I want everything that God has promised me so it doesn't make sense to make a permanent home here because God has promised more, and I trust him 100%. No looking back. Therefore, God was not ashamed to be called his God because where Abraham placed his trust and his focus. It's not the only time God said he was proud of somebody. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness and John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God says, That's my Son. I'm proud of him. Why? Because of an accomplishment he made? No, because he was obedient. Even though John tried to change his mind, Jesus said, no, I need to do this out of obedience. God's pride was visible in Jesus' obedience. We tend to put our pride on accomplishment. The good news is God doesn't reward based on accomplishment, but on obedience. Obey God. Don't look down on what he's called you to do. Just simply obey him. It doesn't matter how slow it's going or what anybody else is doing. If you're obedient, you're in the right place. It's easy to compare yourself to somebody that you know. Someone in your family or somebody you grew up with. Someone who has great accomplishments or success. And think that they're doing way better than you are. But that's not how God sees it. Stop measuring yourself against other people and start comparing yourself to what God called you to be. This is what he's going to judge you against, not somebody else. God says those who have a heavenly mindset, those who are obedient, those who care about what God thinks more than what the world thinks. Those are the ones that he's proud to have carry his name. How do you make God proud? 
you put your faith in him and that his promises are true. And show your faith by obeying all that he asks you to do. Hebrews chapter 11, you should check it out, read the whole thing. It is full of people who did just that. They have different backgrounds. They have different stories. They all had their own problems. None of them was perfect. But they put their faith and their focus on God. And when the chips were down, they were obedient. They're in the Bible to be an example for each and every one of us. Not to show us where our failures are and that we're not as good as them, but to show us that when God tells you to do something and you obey him, you don't just play it safe, but you step out in faith and trust the one who called you to be there. He's faithful. When you have faith in him, he will be faithful to you. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And speaking of being faithful, I want to specifically pray for pastor, for those who are sick. I know there are a lot of people who are sick with different things, uh, different things going on. Um, you know, the Bible says by his stripes we are healed. Uh, I'm, I'm going to believe that. I believe that he wants his people to be healthy. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much. God, that your word says that you have a plan for each and every one of us. God, and that you don't judge based off of accomplishment, God, because there are so many people who have done so many bigger and better things than I can do. God, but you judge on obedience. And I thank you that you have a plan for each one of us so that we can all be obedient to you in exactly what you've called us to be. God, we come before you today. We're in need. God, we ask for healing for our pastor, for his family. God, for others in the church who are not well. God, whether it be sickness or or injury or pain or whatever it is, God, I just it seems like I'm just hearing so many things um, that are going on right now. God, we just pray that you will. God, pour out your healing. Lord Jesus, physical healing on our people, God, but spiritual healing on our land as well. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will make your path clear for each and every one of us and for us as a church, for us as a nation, God, show us where you want us to go. And Jesus, God, we want to walk in that path. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being faithful always. I thank you for being true to your word and for being consistent. Jesus, I pray a special blessing on everyone here. God, everyone watching at home. Jesus, I pray that you will keep them well, keep them safe, God. Jesus, speak to them and show them exactly the next move you have for obedience. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're a little long today. We can't blame it on Pastor because he wasn't here. But uh, next week, uh, you know, keep praying for Pastor. It's going to be a while. I'm sure it's going to be some, some recovery time. So keep praying for him uh, when you think about it. For God to just bolster his strength and uh, just to build his lungs back up too. So uh, keep him in mind. 
Pray for him. Shoot him a text. Shoot him an email, something. Just let him know you're thinking about